talk sports, but we came here to win. The most legit podcast, that's why we know you're tuning in. We cover the biggest news, we underdogs, but we can't lose. So trust the process, yes you, because we got Chris and Anshu to bless you. With the best features, best stories, we diving deep like a Lambo leap. Wake up, kid, and stop snoring, we on point just like this beat. Bring the passion like the talk path, in the cold, get a gold brand. Sit back and raise the cat, because we start this show like right now. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Underdog. I'm Chris Wardell, joined by Anshu Khanna. I'm not going to ask Anshu how, No, I'm not going to do that. We're not stopping. This is take two. There's no time for pleasantries. Uh, as I mentioned in, uh, in take one a little bit earlier, about halfway through the show, we're going to have uh, Corey Chaluba from the awesome YouTube page Hardwood Herald on the show to talk about the NBA draft. But uh, until then, we've got some stuff to talk about. Uh, and as I said before, I'm going to get done repeating the things that I've all, I've already said once and with this next sentence. At the beginning of every show, Anshu, I'd like to ask you for a little status report on where you feel we are in terms of the uh, imminent return of sports or the not-so-imminent return of sports. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I think that you know things are on the right track. I mean, we know that teams are – you know, I mean, we've seen tweets from players, and yeah. I think that we've got a good feel about the NBA being the first back. I mean, we obviously have had a couple sort of pro-am golf uh, mm. efforts here over the last few weeks for COVID relief. But I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, basketball seems to be about a month away, if not maybe a month and a half away. Yeah. But, you know, we've we've talked at length about the light at the end of the tunnel, and it seems like basketball unsurprisingly to us i would say is going to be first to market which is great for adam silver and Kel. well when you talk about the first to come back are you talking about specifically in terms of getting to uh, a preseason like a, a you know getting to workouts and or a, a modified spring training kind of deal or actually playing games Ooh, that's a good that's a good clarification because I know maybe by the time this comes out, I mean baseball may have some resolution. We know this week is going to be intense with that, but I I mean at this point it's the only one where we've had any sort of really positive signs that mm-hmm. it's going to happen. I mean Charles Barkley basically said he would, he's absolutely sure that this is going to happen. He seems to be somewhat well connected amongst the uh, media, so I think that yeah, I, I think all of the above on the NBA in terms of being first back. I don't know that I'm as confident as you are. I think that you're sure. you're right that the likelihood is it will be the NBA, but if I were to put percentages on it, I would say oh god, 65 to 70%, I think it's going to be the NBA, 35 to, you know, 30% that it's going to be baseball. I think baseball might sneak back in. Because I think mm. even you know, even with basketball, I think we're a couple of weeks away from guys being able to get into, you know, formally get into their facility and start this little work up to the training camp. Then we're going to get to the bubble. And I know some teams are going to go to the bubble immediately for, you know, for the actual workout portion. And then we're going to be playing games. So I think games in the NBA at the earliest, the third week of July I think mm-hmm. I think there's a chance baseball gets in before that because I don't know that they're going to require the same amount of of warm up time that basketball is. That's definitely fair. I guess to me the difference is the you know the amount of time that it takes to ramp up so many more players. Yeah, and the fact that the season never started. I mean, I, I just think that there are it was close. Are gonna, games were being played. 
true. Um, barely, but yeah, that's true. I, I, I don't know. I, I hope, I, I mean, look, if they're close, then I would feel great. I, I mean, I think that we're ready for, for, as we talked about last week, ready to the extent that like they, the teams are ready that the, that the, you know, all the proper qualifications are in place to make sure that this is a safe way to go about things. Um, I, my concern with baseball is there are a, a bunch of logistical hoops to jump through in my yeah. mind. Like, and that's a sport that is not super quick to adapt, you know? <laughs> and so like, I, and I mean, I think that's why that we haven't even seen the MLB begin to start this. I, I think Jeff Passan specifically, when you look at like some of his reporting that's been done, it's just, it's mostly, I think, like in a negative context, like in terms of pessimism and just, I, there are just so many things, the like division realignment, the, you know, where it's going to be held. Is it going to be down south somewhere? Is it going to be all over the place? Are there going to be fans? It doesn't seem that's going to be the case. Like, I just think and that's, that's just like the low hanging fruits to the obvious stuff. Then there's, there are so many other issues that need to be ironed out. The MLBPA agreeing, agreeing to a certain amount of money. Right. The players agreeing to play. And I mean, this is a highly injury prone sport, especially for pitching, you know, like, I mean, I think that I just think there is a lot and I hope, I hope that it comes back quickly and I hope that behind the scenes a lot is happening, but I'm not, I'm less optimistic about them than again, as I've said all along about Adam Silver and, and the NBA. Well, you're right. In, in basketball, we do seem to have tangible. There is, there's a plan. Mm-hmm. Although exactly. a lot of that plan is the, like the rough edges of that plan are still being worked out for it. For example, like, you know, we've seen a 70 game schedule proposed. We've seen a 72 game schedule proposed. We've seen right, all 30 right. teams coming back. Now it seems like momentum is moving towards all 30 teams won't be back. And mm-hmm. whether it's a, a 24 similar to what hockey is proposing, or some sort of, you know, every option, any and every option is on the table. We've seen, uh, you know, play in tournaments potentially for the, for the final playoff spots. We've seen, uh, uh, the, the teams being put into groups and the top, uh, top eight teams from those groups would potentially advance into some sort of playoffs. It does seem like Adam Silver is pretty adamant about getting the seven game playoff series. So let's not kid ourselves. That's, that is solely about the money and fair enough because they, Need to recoup some of this money they're losing. Otherwise, the salary cap stuff for next year could be really disastrous. What do you think ends up happening with basketball? Do you, if you're your best guess right now, what does the continuation of this basketball season look like? <sighs> it's a really good question. I, I think the best option is to have a season with like the teams that are peripherally still realistically able to make the playoffs. How do you um, cut, how do you set the cutoff for that? I, I mean, it's gotta be an even number. I think that 24 is the number that you, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that that makes some sense. I, I know that there's been some clamoring for continuing to include the big market teams, you know, not icing out teams in Chicago and New York, but you know, I, I mean, at the same time, like Damian Lillard is straight up said, like if I'm if we're not in the running for the playoffs, I'm not coming back. And you get one Damian Lillard saying that, I think that it, it sets the domino effect, you know. And I, I think that that's a a concern for sure. But um, you know, I like at the end of the day, I think that all the teams will be back for an abbreviated hmm. end of the season, and I don't think that it's going to be 
I don't think it's going to be a real problem, like from a competitive standpoint, because like everyone knows that this this regular season is going to have asterisks all over it. Yeah. And let's not forget that the NBA is already like the biggest tank sport there is, right? <laughs> and I mean, these guys would already half of them wouldn't even be playing at that point anyway, you know, on both competitive and non-competitive teams. So. I think, if anything, we might actually see a more competitive product for the quote-unquote end of season as opposed to, like, a normal year, which should be interesting. The one thing that we have going in terms of anti-tanking is this just isn't the year you're going to – you want to tank hardcore. Right. There isn't that top guy. And I I do see – No, but there are teams that are out. You know, sure. Like out. But, so why ramp it back up? They're out, but under some of these proposed uh, these proposed ideas, they would have an opportunity to play their way in. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. It, that asks that that begs the question. You know, what does and I, you know, you mentioned two very interesting teams, New York and Chicago, which currently sit fifth and sixth in terms of the NBA draft order if the the draft were held today. You know, New York has a thirty seven point two percent chance of going, getting a top four pick and a nine percent chance. Of drawing number one, Chicago a thirty-two percent chance of a top four pick and a seven point five percent chance of drawing number one. Would those teams risk a one in three chance of getting a top four pick for the chance that they happen to get hot for the right to win an you get that eight seed and get hammered in the first round? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's that's the end game, and I mean, I think that. even in a bad draft, and I think we can agree that it's not a good draft for yeah. sure. Um, like, I still don't see a reason why you would do that because, like, whether it's a trade asset or some other thing, I, I mean, I don't see a reason. But, I mean, maybe that is a reason to play it out. And that's why, yes, for Chicago and New York, that's the case. But, like, for a team that's sort of on the fringe, like a, an eight or nine type team or like Portland, someone who's on the outside looking in, um, you know, this is an, an amazing opportunity for them. And, uh, you know, and even like, yeah, that, I mean, there, there's definitely some options here for teams that are, are interestingly somewhat in the mix, like Golden State. I mean, what if they, they're the, that's, the, that came to mind because, you know, yeah. Steph would be back. Right. Steph would be back. I mean, I think there's an outside chance. I don't know what Clay's situation is, but I mean, look, I think they said Clay's not going to play regardless. Okay, so he's in a Durant holding pattern, yeah. basically. But either way, I mean, that that's a team that could get in, sneak in, and no doubt be a, uh, not the team you want to see, whether you're the one seed or three seed or five, you know. And so, yeah, I think that it's a really interesting concept. And, I, and again, I give Adam Silver the benefit of almost every doubt because I think that he is creative enough to try to figure a way out how to make this – to take advantage of this asterisk finish to the season. Absolutely. And, you know, we've seen teams say, hey, we want to play. We're, we're young. We don't know what we are. We need to see what pieces go, like like Cleveland and Atlanta. And we've seen people like Damian Lillard, as you mentioned, come out and say, I don't know. I don't, mm-hmm. know. I don't know about this. And Lillard mm-hmm. is an interesting case because Portland is literally the next team in playoff seeding. You know, you know, we have 16 teams making the playoffs. Portland would be 17 right now. They're two and a half games out of a playoff spot. I think, you know, what is going to be interesting is let's say, let's go down to, you know, Minnesota or, 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 um, or Washington. Mm-hmm. If, if Cat or Bradley Beal says, Hey, I don't see why this is, if this is worth, I don't, this is not going to be worth it for me. I'm not coming back. Like teams just, you're going to have to kind of live with that. And it's good. Yeah. It's going to be accepted tanking, I guess. And, but, 
that also allows for the possibility where teams are like, hey, hey guys, no need for any of you good players to come back. We're, we're going to see right. how high we can get this draft pick. I mean, aren't they kind of? Aren't we kind of doing that with the Kevin Durant types? Well, like, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, Durant is is an exception to this rule because he had an injury that at least warranted him being out for the season. Now, should is, is he healthy enough to come back at this point? Who knows? Is it a risk worth taking? No, it's not a risk worth taking. But if you're a healthy player and you just don't want to play anymore, I think that's a completely different situation. Let's say. You know, Chicago decides we're going to shut down Kobe White because we want the highest draft pick possible. <laughs> then they, they have a real chance at winning. No, I think that uh, Kobe Kobe was hot before the break. I don't want to hear it. He was, he was. But I I think that it's a fair thought. Again, I just go back to the idea that the NBA has become a bit of a tanking league, obviously, and like I think that icing players and you know resting not just for rest purposes or injury purposes, but just for the sake of mitigating risk mm. is a theme well emblematic of the game right now you know and i think that that's just is what it is like i think that i i I don't think that and especially like with the i don't know the tenor of the society at this point like i think that anything that we get ultimately is going to be a good thing and i I think we're kind of splitting hairs at that point i know that it's a big part of the league and it's a big decision to make but as long as you've got you know, really, let's just call it it. As long as you've got the Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks, and, you know, maybe a handful of other teams, I think that everyone will be more than happy with whatever ends up happening. I'll tell you what. If you're Los Angeles, you have to... Which one? Uh, sorry, good point. The Lakers. <laughs> I, I would say, like, you, you, want the, you want to go into the playoffs right now because yeah. I would much rather, okay, we know we're going to get Memphis or somebody like that in the first round right. than... Oh wait, you know a a now healthy New Orleans team is going to come Ooh. be the eight seed, or there you go, or, or a Steph Curry led and Draymond Green led Golden State Warriors team is a team that could potentially win a play in tournament and be the eighth seed. No, thank you, because at that point, who knows what happens with Clay if if they're the eighth seed? Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you put Clay back in that lineup, all of a sudden. That is not an eight versus one seed. Let's put it like that. No, it's it's definitely not, and it's not really fair. But at the same time, these are you know, these are complicated times, yeah. and I think that everyone would have to regrettably agree with the way that it is. I think that you know, on the same by the same token, you can say positives or negatives going into this for every team, pretty mm-hmm. much. Like I mean, I think that the Clippers could say, "Oh, we had time to rest two of the most injury-prone superstars That's in true. the league." Um, you know, the Lakers can say, look, I mean, yes, we wish we had started. It would be nice to play an easier team, but hey, at least we have LeBron getting yeah. time off. Boston, um, Philly both get guys back healthy. For sure. I, I think that every single team, I mean, honestly, maybe minus the Bucks. Like, I think almost yeah. every team can say that this is a positive more than a negative for them. So, if anything, Milwaukee's probably the one that's weathering more of the storm than anybody else. But they, they too, you know. There's there's benefits to having a massive hiatus coming back and being you know a well oiled machine um, that maybe doesn't need as much work. So I think it's I think there are benefits for almost you know, normal and it's going to always have a caveat. But at yeah. the same time, I, we're going to get a full playoffs. It seems like which is a crazy scenario. And the other huge huge factor in this that we we've, we've kind of just sort of brushed off with all the sports is no fans. Mm-hmm. So like, agreed. How does, you know, not having home court advantage is just, 
Like, it was just such a huge, huge difference. I mean, it yeah. evens the playing field in a massive way. Where do you, I, I do want to talk about that in just a second, but where do you stand on the notion that we would be abandoning conferences and just seeding one through 16 for the playoffs? I'm fine with it. I think that it's kind of overdue. I mean, I get why they don't do it because of like logistics travel wise, but in this scenario, probably doesn't matter, right? Like, cause we're going to have sequestered teams. Um, and so. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I think that it's the only reason why it might be unfair is because of the workload of it. You know, you're playing the majority of your games against a certain group of teams, and then to not play that group of teams in the playoffs, I think, is probably a little unfair. Um, but, you know, it's, again, uncertain, you know, complicated times require complicated solutions. So I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and we've, you talked about playing in front of empty gyms. You know, this is the thing I've always thought was interesting because at, you grow up playing sports. You know, you have those guys who are great in practice and can't play in games. So <laughs> are we going to see, you know, people elevate their games because they're, you know, especially on the road because there's there's less fear of, you know, being heckled or whatever the issue is holding them back? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, maybe for a younger player, it you know, you become a little less rattled. But I, I do think that playing – I always found that – I don't know if you see this, especially having played before. But, you know, like in the NCAA tournament, when you have mm-hmm. the games at like the football stadiums, it definitely brings out a different kind of player that's able to sort of look past some of those issues, like the sight lines and that sort of thing, the depth, the mm-hmm. playing on like a hollow court. I mean, there's yeah. – there's definitely things that would throw me way off, you know? And I mean, that being said, they're all professionals. I think that it probably benefits the ones that have been around longer. Um, I do think that like, obviously the streakier players, it's going to impact them um, more. Uh, but you know, like at I, end of the day, I would be surprised if all of this meant that like we have a different champion than we otherwise would have. The only caveat being, like a team like the Bucks again, like mm-hmm. not playing in a much weaker group of eight teams, um, and getting that home court advantage throughout that group. I think that they of all teams will probably suffer the most from all this. Yeah, agreed completely. And I think a team like Oklahoma City is a team that really benefits. Without, you know, with the exception of Chris Paul, this is a team that is not super veteran heavy, and it mm-hmm. is a team that has never had the greatest home court advantage as it was. So all of a sudden you take that out of the picture and if, you know, let's see, they would be what right now? They would currently be, they'd they'd be playing Utah. I'd, I'd favor them over Utah. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it's a four and a five scene, but so it's not the biggest jump, but you give me Chris Paul, someone who has been there and done that before. Yeah. I, I would probably favor Oklahoma city over Utah in, in a neutral gym. With nothing uh, to be said about, like, the, the dynamics of the Jazz, given the go Bear. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, I, I'm fascinated by it. I think we could spend, like, so much time just talking through all the implications of the new setup with these matchups. But, I, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I, I, like, I definitely think there's the opportunity, too, for teams to, like, create their own momentum out of something where there isn't actually momentum, you know? Yeah. Like, the idea that oh, now we're in an empty gym. This is all we needed, you know? Right. Like, this is a true <laughs> proof that we, the Boston Celtics, are truly, like, the best collection of talent, basketball yeah. talent, when you remove all the other factors. You know, just stuff like that. I think it'd be 
very interesting. And I also wonder if like the star calls will get minimized a bit as well, um, given the lack of fans. Hey, here's what I'm here's what I'm gonna say. Look, Philadelphia would be playing Boston in the first round right now. We watch Ooh. we watch all wow. those we watch all those videos of Ben in a in a gym an empty gym during the summer and he's shooting he's shooting jump shots. There so uh, let's see if he's willing to sh- <laughs> more willing to shoot jump shots without fans there. Oh my god! Because it does seem yeah. like that that's the perfect setup for him to get more comfortable shooting. There is I. Totally could see that. I mean, especially in like an exhibition style or even the regular season to wrap up, you know, I think before the playoffs, you could see a little bit more experimentation in that way. But I think it'd be fun to like think about all the factors that will dictate, you know, who's good and who's not and then reflect after and say like, ah, that was all stupid. It ended up being, you know, Lakers Clippers in the end. (laughs) All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be, uh, we'll be back with Corey Chalupa from Hardwood Herald. And then after that, Anshu and I will be back to wrap up the show. Hey guys, it's Chris. Listen up, because I honestly believe these next 60 seconds or so may be the most important 60 seconds we ever air on You're Wrong and Here's Why. Save the Children believes that every child deserves a future. In the United States and around the world, they work every day to give children a healthy start in life, the opportunity to learn, and protection from harm. They deliver lasting results for millions of children, including those who are the hardest to reach. They do whatever it takes for children, every day and in times of crisis, transforming their lives and the future that we share. Right now, the coronavirus, which is the biggest global health crisis of our lifetime, threatens children in every way. COVID-19 has already left many children without caregivers, out of school, and exposed to violence and exploitation. Child poverty is rising. With your support, they can help children in unsafe households and help support distance learning in the face of school closures. Save the Children has so many ways that we can help make a difference in the lives of a child. Anywhere from $5 on up, and I wanna, I want you to think about that when we're getting something at Starbucks or spending $60 on DoorDash. What a difference that that money could make for a child in need. For just a $5 donation, they can buy a baby his first book, providing comfort and inspiring a lifetime of the love of learning. And going up a little bit on this list for just just $50. $50 can provide 10 hungry, out-of-school children a nutritious breakfast and lunch. For more information, head over to savethechildren.org slash savekids. That is S-A-V-E-T-H-E-C-H-I-L-D-R-E-N dot O-R-G backslash S-A-V-E-K-I-D-S. Savethechildren.org backslash savekids. I can tell you right now that Underdog will be making a donation, and we hope you join us in making a donation of your own. Welcome back to the show. On the line with me is the creator of the absolutely fantastic Hardwood Herald series. You can find it at hardwoodherald.com and on YouTube. Corey Taluba. Corey, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. I am uh, a draft nerd, as everybody knows, so I, I'm hype. To get it, dig into some of these things, I think the question that I had for you first, you've uh, I'm watching this this ongoing video series that you have on the YouTube channel. Who is the one guy whose opinion changed your your opinion of whom changed the most while doing the video? I think Killian Hayes. Yeah, I have a follow up about Killian I, Hayes. Go ahead. Yeah i I think that when I like before I watched him, when I started just when I, you know, I'd watch like highlights or like one clip here and there, I was like 
super intrigued by him. Yeah. Because he's a tall point guard. He's a lefty, and I have a, a, a dude crush on lefties. Um, he, you know, is ideally like everything I like great in the pick and roll, great vision. But as I started watching him, there was just moments where I was like, wait, people have him as like the number one prospect mm-hmm. or like a top of their board. And I just couldn't see it because he's so like, he was so like laid back and chill about things. There was no like, just like, let me go out there and go kill somebody. Um, he, he hated going into contact. He, he can't use his right hand like at all. And that was like a major thing because he's not really quick. Um, and he doesn't have like a a lot of burst and he's not a leaper. (laughs) So he needs to do like crafty things and he just doesn't have a right hand. So when you get to the NBA, it's going to be like, all right, well, I know to guard you to the left. Yeah. So now what do you do? With Hayes, uh, Matt Hoover from Tankathon is a friend of the show. And a couple years ago, with with Kevin Knox, I believe the only plus that Matt had for him on Tankathon was draft age. For Killian Hayes, I feel like the only <laughs> plus is kind of like, well, Tony Parker was good and he was French too. Yeah, and and Hayes is from Florida. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he was, so he doesn't even get a full the full Tony Parker treatment. Yeah, it's um, R.J. Hampton. Yeah. The same thing. You're absolutely. What is? Oh, I don't get it. Where is <laughs> Hayes? I'm I'm so on board with what you just said. People say Hayes is potentially the best prospect in this draft, and he turned the ball over 25 percent of the time he touched it. How how is he, he a point guard? This, he has this terrible habit of getting in the air without like knowing where he's going to go with the ball before he passes it. Like, um. Tyrese Halliburton does a better job. Like there's nothing wrong with jumping in the air and making a pass. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know where you're going with it, that's kind of a problem. And Hayes does that a lot. Like he just, he'll get himself in the air and nobody's open. So he's like forced to throw it away. Um, and then the other thing, like his handle's sloppy. It's just sloppy. Like even his left hand, like he gets sloppy with it. So he's going to get stripped a lot because he just doesn't have like that first step blow by speed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with that said, like, there are things I like about him in, like, a certain range. Like, for sure, I, I just I, – I don't see, like, that, hey, this guy's going to transform the, the roster and open everything up and he's going to, you know, be this lead guy. Like, I, that's what I'm having trouble seeing and, and when I dove into the film. And, like, you know, I, I take into consideration he's 18 years old playing in a pro league. Sure. Like, sure. Um, and he's playing with guys who have, you know, some NBA experience, played with Archie Goodwin, Zoran Dragic. Um, so maybe he's not like the leader of the team and whatever, but you know, I, I think they're as the point guard, you kind of have to, especially if you're going to be like a top two, three pick, you, you have to, you can't use that as an excuse. You have to get past that and, and just show like an alpha dog mentality as a point guard. And um, I, I, that watching his film, like there, there'd be times I just go, I, I don't see it. Is there some Kevin Porter Jr. to his film in that? Every once in a while, he'll make that spectacular play, specifically with Hayes. It tends to be that step-back three that Porter Jr. also really likes. But, you know, game to game, it's just it's kind of very ordinary. It seems like he's a guy who I would be comfortable taking in the 20s, certainly not at number one. Yeah, I definitely would not take him at one. Like, I'm a, I'm a Bulls fan. Um, if oh, I'm the sorry. Bulls were in that, yeah, I, you know, look, I, there's been a lot of good Bulls news lately with the the front office and everything. So I'm, you know, and we just had the the Last Dance documentary. So I'm I'm kind of flying high right now. Um, 
but uh, as to where I was a couple of months ago when the season was going on. Sure. But, um, you know, I, if, if he was taken in like the seven to 10 range, I, I, I could be comfortable with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. I would kind of have the same reaction that I had when we drafted Kobe white last year, where I was like, okay, that's fine. I, I wouldn't get super excited, but I wouldn't be super down. I think if you got him later in the lottery, you maybe have a little bit more reason to be excited. And if you got him in the twenties, like great. Um, but if, if you're a team, like, I don't know, like, is he going to play alongside Trey Young or D'Angelo Russell or Garland and Sexton? Like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't see any of these top teams being wowed by him enough to take him that high, even if they're, you know, if he's that high on their board. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. Maybe maybe he's he can ease into the lineup somewhere like Detroit. But I don't I don't see anywhere else. And New York would eat him for breakfast. He cannot be the Knicks first round pick. Like you said, doesn't really make sense. You know, he's kind of redundant in Chicago. Although, you know, there's the the sense that White may be more of a two or at least a combo than a pure one. I don't. I just. I don't get it. I. I don't get what he does well. You talk about like pick and roll stuff, and that's nice. And I know that the NBA is a pick and roll league now. But he. He isn't long. Well, he isn't overly long. He is an athletic. People talk about the ability to change speeds, and I feel like I'm just shitting on. Killian Hayes for no reason, but <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by this because I just don't get it. He doesn't, his changing speeds is going from like kind of slow to kind of medium. There's no burst. There's no, right. there's no <laughs> vertical ability. He doesn't shoot the ball no. all that well. He's an okay free throw shooter and he's young. So I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like he's, I, I think he's a pretty decent defender. He's pretty smart. He, he's, he's usually in the right spot. Um, he's good at playing the passing lane. So like, he's not, he's one of the guys that aren't going to kill you on that end. Um, you know, maybe as a rookie, because most rookies suck at defense, Yeah. but eventually I think, I think he projects as like a plus defender, you know, like you say, he's six, five. So he's going to be a guy that you could play with smaller two guards who are more in that scoring role and he can guard the two. He could, he could be a multi-position guy. It's, it's all about expectations with him, I think. It, you know, if you're expecting him to transform your team, I think you might be disappointed. If you're expecting him to just be, like, a contributor uh, down the line who kind of plays the right way and has, like, certain skills that you can um, play to, I, I think that's how, you know, he should be used. But, you know, a lot of times when these guys are drafted at the top of the lottery, there's such massive expectations put on them. And uh, I think that's a downfall to a lot of these prospects. Well, for the first time in a long time, it seems to me that there isn't a lock to go number one. Edwards, probably the clubhouse leader, but I don't think anything's a foregone conclusion at this point. Who is your top prospect? Edwards. Okay. What are you concerned about the fact that he might be six three? Um, I'm not overly concerned about that. I, I mean, he's, I think a really impressive physical specimen, even if he was six three. Um, he's built like a tank and it, at his age, like it's super impressive how strong he is. He's a good athlete. I think when he locks in defensively, which admittedly is not all of the time, mm-hmm. but when he does lock in defensively, I think he's probably one of the top perimeter defenders in the draft. Just, you can't move him. He's good laterally off ball. You know, there's some, uh, some moments of, of laziness there, but, his size isn't really anything that that concerns me. Yeah, only, you know, shoots twenty nine percent from three, but a lot of that, as you mentioned uh, on the video at Hardwood Herald, that 
is he takes bad shots. So if he can be coached out of that, yeah. th- you, you're not that worried about that shooting percentage. Is that fair? But yeah, that's that's my thing, especially with no standout player in the draft. He's a guy that you watch sometimes and you're like, okay, I could see if he was to hit his peak, I could see the player he is. He's displaying these like superstar level skills. They're not there all the time, but I'm seeing things that he'll make a quickly shift going between four guys up and under. He's not, you know, getting moved out of his spot when somebody uh, comes into contact with him. He's finishing through the the percentages. It sucks um, that he shot so poorly, but I I think that he's going to project as a solid shooter going forward, because like you said, a lot of it is just shot selection and, Mm -hmm. and whether that is because of, the role he was in in the offense, or it's something that he just has a bad habit with, which a lot of guys don't break out of that bad habit. Jamal Crawford took bad shots his whole career. Yeah, and um, a guy so, he gets comp to is Donovan Mitchell, who is also prone to the occasional bad shot. Yeah, um, totally. And but you know, if Donovan Mitchell, what we know now about him, if he was in this draft, he'd be the number one pick. Oh, for sure. So you know, you know, for me, Edwards is the guy. I. I see the argument for a couple of the other guys. Um, but for me, I think if you're betting on like floor, ceiling, everything in between, he's, he's kind of the most sure thing either in either direction. The thing about Edwards for me is I was a little bit surprised of the player he was at the college level. You know, he had the reputation of being this super bouncy athlete who could also shoot a little bit. But once he got to Georgia, it was more he's a three-point shooter who occasionally drives. Yeah, that's fair. Is it? That's fair. And, and it seems like that really should be the other way around. And I think you even say it in the video. If you know some of those bad threes become drives, and all of a sudden this is a completely different player. Right, and you know he had like a decent free throw attempt rate. It wasn't like at any kind of elite level. It was decent, but if he was taking seven free throw attempts instead of five, yeah you know, his efficiency looks a lot different and he'd also be harder to guard because you're switching, you know, and, and it, it seems trivial because it's only like one attempt more at the rim where you're getting fouled. But if you're going to get fouled, it means you're just driving more. So you're getting more shots at the rim in general that you're not getting fouled on. So it would, it would benefit him to, to figure out how to drive more, maybe in the NBA where there's a little bit more space, maybe he's playing, you know, with a couple of other guys that take a little bit of the pressure off of because all the pressure is on him mm-hmm. and, you know, guys have thrived in that position before and not shot 40, 30. So it's, it's <laughs> not to use that as an excuse, but you know, it, with these crop of guys, you know, to me, he's, he's my, my favorite. If, if I had the number one pick and I was like, I need to shoot for a superstar. He's, he's the guy that I would take. Who do you think would be the ideal uh, landing spot for him? Is it, is it Atlanta? Atlanta would be good. Definitely, Atlanta would definitely be good. I, I think Trey Young would take a tremendous amount of pressure off of him, right. obviously. And, and I think that he's a guy that is a good secondary ball handler. You don't want him to be the only ball handler on the team. It would serve Trey Young well to be able to get some off-ball looks. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Edwards has a little bit of playmaking potential that he didn't necessarily display. Because if you watch some of his clips in transition where he's passing, <laughs> he's making some like unbelievable passes in transition. So I think there's something there in the half court that could be unlocked 
um, with film and, and, um, and coaching. So I, I think that Atlanta would be good outside of that. I mean, Minnesota's not really great. They have Malik Beasley. You got D'Angelo Russell, the Warriors, you can make the argument, but I mean, you can make that argument for really any prospect who wouldn't be, you know, good with playing with Steph Curry and, right. and Clay Thompson in the backcourt. Well, the, the, uh, maybe. Well, I think what's really interesting about the Atlanta fit is if he ends up in Atlanta, a lot of those bad shots he takes are quick shots. So if Trey's bringing the ball up, he doesn't have the opportunity to make those uh, those bad reads, take those bad shots. Yeah, I agreed, agreed. I and and I do think that if he buys in defensively, he's a guy that fits in well next to Trey because I think he could guard ones or twos. Well, you mentioned you're a Bulls he, he fan. Does, oh, sorry. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you're a Bulls fan. How does uh, how does he fit in Chicago? You know, I I'm really curious just in general what Chicago is going to look like. Uh, right now, our backcourt doesn't fit anyway. No. So might as well just go for the talent, best player available strategy. You know, I I can't imagine any world where Kobe White and Zach Levine work. I like both of those guys a lot individually together. I, I can't see it working. Unfortunately, our coach had no interest in seeing if it worked and didn't <laughs> want to play them together yeah. all too much. So <laughs> a year in, I'm not any more certain about that than I was, you know, on draft night last year. But for me, I, Zach Levine's on a great contract. I don't know what's going to happen with the CBA. I don't, you know, whether contracts are going to stay locked in at their number, if they're going to drop, whatever. maybe his contract is worth something. If, because he's he's had a pretty good contract for a couple of years as a guy who averages a ton of points and we can move him, open it up. I still wouldn't love the fit between Kobe White and Anthony Edwards either. So that doesn't bring us any closer to uh, having an ideal fit in the backcourt. But yeah. as a Bulls fan, I would just take him because I think he's the most talented guy. So it, Bulls pick number one, you're saying Edwards is the guy. If Let's say the Bulls stay at number seven, which seems to be the Bulls' lucky number or unlucky number, depending yeah. on <laughs> how you view it. <laughs> Who who would be the target? Who's the guy you hope drops to seven? I really like Denny. Mm-hmm. I like Denny a lot. Um, I, I actually I'm pretty high on Tyrese Maxey, who I'm sure is going to be there. Um, I think maybe he's getting slept on a little bit. Isn't that a similar but problem? I would, say I would kind of two combo yeah, guards in sure. the backcourt. <laughs> from a uh, from a fit perspective, I would say Denny. I mean, you know, we have Otto Porter Jr., but who knows? He's going to be here for probably another year. Uh, he barely played this year because he got a bad hip. Hip problems don't seem like a good thing going forward in his career. Right. I think that Denny is a guy that you could slide in at the three. You could play him with Wendell Carter at the four. You could play him super, you know, fast shooting lineup with Laurie. If you put Laurie at the five, he could play with Zach. He could play with Kobe. Just from a, a roster flexibility standpoint, Denny seems like somebody I, I would be pretty comfortable with the Bulls drafting. Let's talk about Avija a little bit. This is an interesting guy. Are you at all concerned about the fact that for someone with a reputation as a you know big three or a stretch four who can who can really shoot the ball, he doesn't shoot the ball all that well. You know, thirty two percent from three, fifty eight percent from the line. That's concerning. I I would say yeah, that's pretty concerning. I'm I, I think it's one of those things where the eye test for me goes beyond what the percentages say. You know, I've watched a ton of his film and there's never been a point where I was like, oh, his shot looks broken or he's shooting a low percentage because he's taking bad shots. 
it, when he's the leader of, of the national team, sometimes he forces some shots, and, and mm. that's maybe why his percentages are down a little bit. I think he looked a little bit better playing catch-and-shoot situations um, in the Euro League with Maccabi. The free throw percentage is worrying, but I and, and I know that a lot of people use that as an indicator of how to project forward for like three-point shooting. Mm. To me, I th- it, it seems like it, it it has to be like a mental thing because his form, it, there's nothing like really, really terribly wrong with it. Now, it being a mental thing is obviously not good either. <laughs> that that might be worse than you yeah. know if he had like a hitch in his shot. That I'm worried about. I'm worried about the free throw shooting. But right now, he's not really getting to the line enough that. I think it makes a difference. Like he's not a big time, uh, you know, driver right now. And hard, partially because hard to view that as a positive does, though. It's not, it's <laughs> yeah. But I, I think if you, I think it's not a positive if you're looking at him as a guy who is going to be a major piece on your team as like a one or a first or second option. Mm-hmm. If you could look at him as a guy that would be like a good third option down the line, who is going to have a little bit of ability to play in the pick and roll, make the right pass, get out and transition, either leading the break or on the wing, hit catch and shoot shots and be a smart defender. I think some of those concerns are, you know, a little bit less concerning. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at. Like I I don't have any, you know, part of me that thinks that he's the next Luka Doncic. I think he's just going to be like a really solid player that, if all goes well, maybe he makes like two all-star teams. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of where I have him. Well, I do think he suffers a little bit right now just because of how good Doncic was. I, as a prospect, is he more, you know, a little closer to like a, an Anadolu FS version of Dario Saric? I, I kind of have him more as like a Gallinari. Okay. Now, obviously Gallo's, Gallo, Gallo was like a much better shooter. Right. But even if you look at, at <clears throat> some of his percentages when he was playing in Europe, he was not like lighting the net on fire um, percentage wise. So part of it playing in the Euro League, he's a guy he's he's got a lot of pro experience. Sarich, I see some of it, but I think that Denny is a little bit more fluid than him. Mm-hmm. I think he just moves a little cleaner. And um, but but yeah, I, you know, Sarich is like a good comp. And I think Sarge is a good NBA player. He probably got drafted at the appropriate spot um, in his draft. You know, he wasn't taken too far ahead. I think if you're drafting Denny at one, two, maybe even three, you're probably reaching. But well, yeah, and ironically, that Sarge draft but, was know, a really yeah. weak draft as well. Right. Yeah. So you know, I, I like Denny. He knows how to play the game. He's a professional. I mean, if you look at his roster, he's playing with multiple pros. He's always playing against pros. Maybe his percentages look a little different if he's playing, you know, D1 basketball. Um, maybe they look a little bit better. Right. Maybe they don't. But I'm, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about it. The free throw percentage, kind of. The, the rest of it, I, I think, you know, is fixable. Well, if it's not Edwards, who are the other guys that you think are legitimate contenders for that number one spot? Definitely Ball. Definitely okay. Lamelo. And honestly, I, I think that Wiseman is probably up there as well. I, I I know that big centers are not in vogue right now, and I know that he only played three games, but I think that those measurables and the way he moves at that size, I still think there are teams at the top of the draft that are going to be like, we can't pass on that. So I could see him going one. 
depending on who gets the number one pick. And then I could see LaMelo uh, going one just because he's going to be the most marketable and he's, he's shown some elite NBA-level skills. Well, with Wiseman, I think it's interesting. He gets knocked because very small sample size, obviously, before he was you know, left right. to Memphis. I do think it's it's incredible <laughs> that people are, are ranking Ngakwu above him at this point. What does Ngakwu do better than Wiseman? Uh, I don't have him as, ahead of uh, Wiseman. <laughs> so uh, I think that teams or people on the internet, whoever, whoever's talking like this, mm-hmm. they see guys like Bam at a bio. Exactly. And they see, they see a Kung Wu in him where I kind of see like, and I get it. Like I get why that comp is there, but I think he's kind of like a less skilled version of Wendell Carter Jr. Oh boy. Um, okay. Which, which, you know, like Wendell Carter is very skilled. So to be a less skilled version of that is not, you know, a knock necessarily. He does some things better than Carter, I think. I think that he's a guy that's going to be able to guard the perimeter on switches. He's good at block shots. On offense, I'm a little bit concerned about what his role is going to be. Out, Like, if you have expectations that he's going to be able to do all of these things, if you think he's going to be a three-point shooter, stress the floor, I don't see that, at least for a while. And I think that his shot is going to need altering if he's going to stretch it out. But you know, he's, he is going to be a guy who's going to come in, and if you just want him to rebound, run the floor, run the pipe, patch lobs, pick and roll, you know, in the pick and roll, and then crash the offensive glass because he's a beast at that. Um, but if you're expecting him to all of a sudden be, like, great in the short roll and be making these Draymond Green-esque reads out mm-hmm. of that, I think you'll be disappointed. But I, I have Wiseman ahead of him, honestly, even even with the short sample size. Is something like a rich man's Clint Capella a decent upside for Wiseman? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I have confidence in Wiseman's shot yeah. stretching. He has good form. He does. And and I don't think he's going to be a three-point shooter his first couple of years in the league, but and I don't ever think he's going to be a high volume, but I do think he's a guy that's going to be able to at least knock it down. And I and what's weird to me is that some people, you know, believe that with a Kung Wu, where they both shot around like the same amount of threes, or maybe I don't even know if Wiseman attempted more than one in, in his three games. But I, I buy Wiseman's four more than a Kung Wu's long term. And if, if you're going based off that, like I think that long term he's gonna be able to do more than Capella. So I guess that's that's, you know, rim runner crashy offensive glass, beast on the defensive glass, where I think he's, he's going to get to the line more than Capella. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd say that that kind of player with a little bit more in his bag is probably what you should be expecting out of him. Wiseman took 1-3 uh, at his time in Memphis, and that was, it was in that final game against yeah. Oregon looking at this right now. I right. agree. You, he has the added benefit of having had nine months to work on his game by himself, too. So I would be a little bit concerned if that range isn't considerably better than we last saw it yeah and i think if you were to watch him in an open gym he's probably gonna be able to hit like a really high percentage of those shots and then it just comes down to what team drafts him and what role they foresee him playing in that rookie year because you know a lot of a lot of it comes down to coaching and situation you know like what like i said as a bulls fan wendell carter jr displayed like 
pretty decent shooting touch at Duke, and he wasn't allowed to really shoot threes this year because the coaching staff didn't want him to, which never made sense to me. But, yeah. um, you know, so who knows with Wiseman. Teams may just tell him to, to take it easy, rim run, rebound, block shots. That's what they might tell him to do, you know, his rookie year. And maybe he doesn't show some of the stuff he's capable of until a few years down the line. Well, not much of what Jim Boylan did with the Chicago Bulls this year made a heck of a lot of sense. And fortunately for you guys, I think we're closer to the uh, the end than the beginning of his tenure in Chicago. Last guy I want to talk about is yeah. uh, the guy everybody <laughs> wants to talk about. That's LaMelo Ball. Another guy, I'm just, you know, obviously the shot is better looking than his brother's, but he doesn't make them. 25% three-point <laughs> shooter, 82% from the line, which is at least encouraging do you have confidence that LaMelo will become at least a league average three-point shooter? No. How much does no, that no. hurt his upside then? Tremendously. I, I think that if I had confidence that he was going to be a league average shooter, he'd be the number one guy on my board. I just don't have that confidence. And his shot is really, really like ugly. I, yes. I don't even know if it, it looks that much better than Lonzo's because it's it's still like a weird two-handed push shot mm. and you know I'm just as concerned about his shot selection as I am about his form because it's not like the form was the the only cause of him being a bad shooter he he's just he takes really terrible shots and I don't think that he's a guy that really learns how to play like organized basketball the right way I he's he, his, the way he plays doesn't lead to winning. I mean, his Chino Hill teams won, but Lonzo led them. Yeah, Kungwu was on the team. His older brother oh, was on the that. team. It's not like he was. Yeah, you know he he played with really good players, but he he didn't win in Lithuania. His team was terrible in the NBL. Yeah. So the style of play that he has doesn't really lead to winning. If you're going to be a superstar, you're probably going to be able to take a team in the NBL, you know, pretty far, especially <laughs> right. as a lead ball handler like that. And and for all the elite skills, his shot is just he takes the, the the worst shots. Like if you're a coach, and the first time he pulls from you know Damian Lillard, Trey Young range, you're gonna like pull your hair out because yeah. it's it's just it's a turnover. It's Agreed. basically a turnover with a you know and. He does that a lot. Besides that, his shot is so inconsistent. And you talk about, you know, we talked about his top where it's kind of like a push shot. His feet are just a train wreck. They're so inconsistent. He, he never does the same thing. Sometimes he does a one, two step. Sometimes he does a catch. He's never really like, it's, he's never doing the same thing twice. And I think you need to, you know, kind of have a repetition as a shooter if you're going to improve to be at least league average, like you can't be doing different things with each part of your body based on what shot you're taking and when. So I, I'm, I'm really concerned about that because the, there's no real way to project that he's going to be a good shooter. You just have to have faith that he's a worker and that he's going to be, you know, look at his brother and be like, Oh, well, Lonzo needed to fix a shot. Maybe I will too, but he's had so <laughs> much time to fix it that I, you know, I don't know if he's going to. So a lot of Lamella Ball is going to come down to coachability and, and what kind of person he is. And, you know, I don't know enough about him as a person to to comment on that. But if you're a team, you better. You better figure that part out because for all the good he does with his ball handling and his passing, 
there's a lot of bad there that I think gets overlooked because everybody likes watching Ball is Life mixtapes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's a if it's a toughness issue or what it is, but it drives me crazy that it seems like he drives with the intention of taking a bad floater rather than to get to the basket. Oh yeah, he's he's super averse to contact. He's super averse to it and he's a guy who could really get to the hoop when he wants because he's super long. He's so shifty with the ball. He can manipulate pick and rolls, but he'd rather take weird long floaters and, and just do up and unders and go away from the contact. And, you know, he's a guy that should be getting to the line at the NBA level nine times a game. And I don't know if that's going to be a thing that actually happens. I think he's going to be an inefficient, uh, inefficient player for a while. You know, I mentioned Jamal Crawford earlier, who I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on because he's actually one of my favorite players to watch ever. But he, he reminds me a lot of Jamal Crawford in how shifty he is in his ability to get off any shot he wants, but they just don't always go in. Jamal was a much better shooter though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crawford, Unbelievable. Unbelievable shooter. Unbelievable scorer. So that's, that's what's concerning, but same thing. Like, Crawford could have got to the line anytime he wanted. He just didn't. He'd rather settle for, you know, off-balance jumpers in the mid-range or from three. Or He, he could have got to the line a ton, and he just didn't do it. And if he did, he, he could have been a superstar-level player. Now, LaMelo's a better, uh, a better passer, a better vision. So that's a plus for him. And he's taller. He's got better measurements than Crawford. So if you, you're looking and you're saying – well, maybe he could be a 6'8 version of Jamal Crawford. Okay, that would be a great player, but you got to fix that shot. Yeah, I don't know that uh, Ball ever gets that 50-point game that Crawford uh, seemed, seemed to have no trouble with. You know, and if, if I'm looking for a LaMelo Ball and I'm, I'm picking number one, number two, I'm just I'm going to see if I can line things up and just go get Cade Cunningham next year, a much better version <laughs> of LaMelo Ball. So, yeah, this is... He's a guy, it feels like New York makes too much sense to not happen just because he can be that next disastrous player in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, uh, I don't know how many of my friends in New York um, would be excited about that and how many would hate it. I think it would be a 50-50 split there. But, you know, that's the other, the other thing about LaMelo Ball. Like we said that Atlanta would be a good landing spot for Anthony Edwards because he could play off Trey Young. Mm. LaMelo, you have to give him the keys yep you can't be like oh he's going to play off somebody if you are expecting him to just compliment somebody or to be somebody that's going to take the pressure off somebody you're you're setting him up for failure you might as well just give him the keys and let him go because if he's a guy that has to play you know any amount of time off ball that it's going to be a waste of a pick which is funny because one of those teams that has potentially been you know, rumored as interested in him, they took two point guards in a row in in Cleveland. Oh God, yeah, that I I you know I was so super high on Darius Garland last year, and then Cleveland took him, and I was like, oh, that was it. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I always I'm wrong. <laughs> I always thought Sexton was a two anyway. I always thought Sexton was a bench two rather than a starting one, but you know he certain he overperformed what I expected from him, so I will give him. Give him credit there. This has gone way longer than we expected. Last thing I'm going to ask you, is there a guy later in the draft that you really like? Um, I really, really, really like Kyra Lewis Jr. Okay. He, he's a guy who 
has been in like the 20 to 30 range. I think I've seen him maybe in like the 15 range in some places, but I think he's getting overlooked a little bit because he's a sophomore, but he's a very young sophomore. Like he is younger than Cole Anthony by wow. I think almost a year. Um, he's, you know, he's younger than a He's younger than a Kung Wu. He's, He's younger than almost everybody as mm-hmm. a sophomore. He, I don't believe he was even old enough to enter the draft last year after his freshman season. <laughs> I think that he showed a lot of NBA skills. He's super quick. He could shoot it. He can pass a little bit. Um, he, he's good in the passing lanes. I, I think he's a guy that should be a no-brainer lottery pick. I think if there's any kind of semblance of a combine, he will be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows what that situation is going to be like. There's probably not going to be anything like that. But I think his, you know, kind of the, the fact that he's a sophomore and that he's a little, you know, he, he is really skinny. Um, and I think that's kind of been held against him. But he's a guy that can get buckets. And I look at him, I, go, I, I don't know why in a draft that is perceived as weak, why he wouldn't be a lottery pick. No brainer. It's interesting. He's he's a guy I, I I love. I would I would uh, recommend diving into some of his tape for for anybody out there that that's interested in that. Oh, super fun tape! And as you mentioned, uh, yeah, just turned nineteen years old last month. So he is a baby. Yeah. So it's it's he's a baby. A lot of a lot of upside left, and, and got a lot better freshman to sophomore too. All of a sudden, you know that outside shot looks respectable, where I don't necessarily think it did as a freshman. And he shot 80 from the line, so there is a shooting upside yeah, there. He's bouncy. It's You're right. Interesting prospect. Yeah, I think with an open floor, like the way the NBA game is played, with all that space, the way he's going to be able to use that first step, that burst in transition, like I think he's a, a no-brainer lottery talent. Maybe improve that decision-making, though. It's a little turnover-prone. But yeah. aren't they all? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, look, this is a draft that doesn't have uh, any – kind of no-brainer consensus, uh, consensus prospects, all of these guys are going to have some work. But I think that, you know, the combination of all his talents combined, you could look at him and be like, this guy gets put into a good situation. He, he could be a really, really nice player somewhere. Absolutely. All right, well, Corey Taluba from Hardwood Herald. Uh, you can, as I mentioned, you can find him all over social media at Hardwood Herald. You can go to the uh, the Hardwood Herald YouTube page, you can go to hardwoodherald.com. Is there, is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything I'm forgetting? Um, if, if you have a TikTok and you want to see me act like an idiot there, you can <laughs> find me at Hardwood Corey, but that's it. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit too old for the TikTok stuff. I apologize for not <laughs> being familiar with that. Uh, but all right. Well, look, this has been awesome. Corey Chaluba, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey guys, it's Chris to let you know that this week's episode of You're Wrong and Here's Why is brought to you in part by Lumen. I've been talking to you guys about this for a couple of weeks now, so you probably know that Lumen is working to improve the world's metabolic health and their quality of life one breath at a time. Lumen is the first handheld device that allows a person to measure their metabolism in real time through their breath, and it tells you 
What your body's doing right now tells you if your body's using carbs or fat for fuel, and it provides you with a personalized daily meal plan and insights to help you reach your weight loss and fitness goals. And not to speak for anybody else, but geez, that is something that would be really helpful for me right now. This pandemic is kicking my butt. Now you're probably thinking, Chris, tell me about how they do it, and uh, I'm happy to. Lumen's technology is backed by years of validation studies and research conducted by two of their founders and the chief scientists. This is technology that was once only available to professional athletes, and now it's available to the average Joe like uh, you and I. And that's pretty darn cool. I say it every week, but I really think you need to head over to the website to get a real feel for just how impressive a device this is. Go over to lumen.me, that's L-U-M-E-N.me, and on that homepage, there is a See It in Action tab. Click that, and you're gonna be in love with what you see. We partnered with Lumen to offer you guys a special deal. Our listeners get 25% off their order using the promo code Here's Why 25 H-E-R-E-S-W-H-Y-2-5. So head over to the website, lumen.me. I know you're going to be impressed with what you find and use that promo code to get $25 off a device that is going to significantly help you improve the quality of your own life. All right, Anshu, we're back way, way back in that first segment. We were talking about the NBA playoffs, and uh, God, I barely remember what we were talking about at this point. So long oh, ago. Been but, a lifetime. <laughs> but yeah, this, I, I'm really, really excited for it. With your Bulls sitting at number seven, would you rather they don't win another game or they got hot and you got to watch them in the playoffs? Don't win another game. Not even a question in my mind. Because, like, the end game for the Bulls, first of all, I am I'm not particularly optimistic about this particular group right now. And so I think you got to do whatever you can to add the highest ceiling talent you can. And, I, and you do that by, you know, either trading the asset with the draft pick or yeah. making a pick with a new front office that I trust infinitely more than the old one. So... I mean, I, I think that that would have to be my my choice, but I think that there's something to be said about, you know, I feel, especially after watching The Last Dance, but just in general, I feel like a renewed sense of competitiveness, you know, like the, the idea that tanking, you know, especially in this society right now, like it, it's yeah. just, it'd be fun to just see a winner, you know, even if the end game is like, all right, obviously you're not getting out of the first or second round, you know. It'd be fun though to just see a team win and get hot and be that that group that you know slides into the playoffs. Uh, speaking of the last dance, it, Chris Anstey on his Facebook page, former NBA player, has been a guest on Calisthenics Association. Good guy uh, wrote mm-hmm. a long Facebook post about his experience with the Chicago Bulls the next season after that oh, last yeah. dance. That is thirteen a, and thirty-seven. A must-read for everybody. Just a fascinating look into that organization. How? What do you think the likelihood is right now that Jim Boylan coaches another game for the – well, coaches a game next season for the Chicago Bulls? Oh, good, good qualifier. He will, yeah. I think, coach the rest of whatever season happens yeah. this year. I mean, I, and I kind of think that's why they haven't fired him yet. Um, I, I mean, I hate to say that, that it's anything more than 0%, but I would say it's like probably 20% right now. Like, I think that they I, – I cannot believe that Mark Eversley and Arturis Karsinovas want him as their guy next year, but it yeah. does seem like it's 
it's at least a thing that Jerry Reinsdorf wants them to consider. And that is terrifying to me, but um, I do think they'll, they'll, I I'm hoping it's just cause we don't, there's some uncertainty about the end of the season. They don't want to just fire him out of hands yeah. before that. But I, it would have been the first move I made because he is, he is horrible. Well, you put yourself in a weird position with the intern coaches though, because yeah. if a guy does well and is liked by the team, but maybe you recognize he's not the best long-term fit, you you sort of get yourself into an awkward position. It's let's call it the Greg Williams position. <laughs> Greg Williams took yeah. over that Browns team. The players loved him. The team did well, but you know this is not a guy who is going to work long term, and that yep. only has negative effects basically on everything because you have the fan base clamoring for the guy who actually won games to stay. You have the players who have now built a, a bigger relationship with this guy, and they are on his side. So. There's something to be said about just leaving Boyle in there as uh, as a sacrificial lamb for the rest of the season. I don't know that I agree completely that if that was the case, then that should be how they proceed. But I don't think the players are like Team Boylan or anything, you know. Like I think maybe they they have a sense of ambivalence, but I I would be surprised. And they've actually already fired a pretty popular assistant coach, which was surprising. So. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I'm, and then they re-upped with another, it's just an odd, I, I mean, it definitely, I've seen a lot of odd moves from the Bulls over the years. So I'm a little concerned that we're starting off this regime with another one, but been a couple weird, weird moves that they've made early on here. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance in the world. The players are team Boylan. I think the players are, no. are, are specifically very anti Boylan at this point, right. led, led by <laughs> Zach Levine. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's, yeah. there is no risk whatsoever that anything is anything weird is going to happen as long as Boylan is the coach. You oh, know, I hope so. You know you're going to have that fresh start next year. Whereas you bring in an assistant, he wins some games, the players like oh, him. Oh, I got you. All of a sudden, there is you know there is push from the fan base to keep him as the guy, even if you have better options. Oh, good point. All, yeah. You know, oh, honestly, yeah. Freddie, Freddie Kitchens, Kitchens yeah. and yeah. Greg Williams, Freddie Kitchens, a lot of Browns play, wow, Browns okay. coaches. Uh, <laughs> apply to this analogy, but yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's certainly true. Good luck, Kevin Stefanski. But um, so Chicago currently yeah. sitting in that seven spot. I, it's hard to ask this, but what are you hoping happens? Assuming I you mean, don't move up. Yeah, I, I, I know you were kind of comparing Obi Toppin to some less. Uh, quality players in our last. It was not me directly comparing Obi Toppin to to Anthony Bennett. I was saying Anthony that Bennett, I, yeah. I read a comparison of that, and I was just drawing parallels. Okay, okay, good. Um, I'm hoping he's. I think he's a much better option. I think that he'd be an interesting fit. I, I Danny Vijo would be fun. Um, I mean. They're not going to – I think that even as bad as this draft is, there seems to be kind of like a carved-out top nine-ish players. So I think they'd be solidly within that mix. Mm -hmm. But um, it's tough to know. I don't know. Who's your favorite guy there at seven? It's really hard. It's really hard. Uh, I don't – Not having the tournament really cheated us of, like, being able to see some of the best players, too, at, at, like, the top of their games. Well, and, you know, even if there was a tournament, we weren't going to see Cole Anthony, and that's a guy I would have liked to see in that environment. Yeah. It is – this is really, really hard, and this draft is going to be more of a crapshoot than normal just because you're going to have no workouts leading up to it and no tournament and all of that. 
I okay. I think Wiseman is getting crapped on a little bit more than he should. He people are knocking him for having played bad teams early in that schedule, but he's not his fault. They played bad teams early in the schedule, and he played great. Is he a traditional modern day five? Probably not. But I don't think he's going to be shoehorned into that that Andre Drummond category that people seem to be, uh, you know, or even Clint Capella, I guess, that people seem to be mm. quick to lump him into. I think he's I think he's more talented than that. Uh, Edwards is interesting. I think his shot selection terrifies me. Maybe it's just that Georgia team gave him more liberty than he should have had. But man, he takes a lot of a lot of stupid threes, especially early in the clock when he doesn't need to. Lamelo is is Lamelo. Let me ask you this: if if his name was uh, Lamelo Green, would he be the third pick in the draft? Uh, I I don't know. I think that I like him. I like the idea of him probably more than actually what I've I've seen. So to your point, like I think that I I, I mean I think. It's definitely a factor what he where he comes from and you know kind of like the aura around him. But that being said, I think that in some ways it could be a negative, you know, yeah. like if, I, he's having the Lavar effect about him. Although it's been kind of diminished, I think over time. I wonder. I mean, like, look, R.J. Hampton, same kind of team. R.J. Like, Hampton. League, like, I know it's lazy, but I just I see Dante Axum. Oh man, that's tough. But yeah, if you can't shoot too much, it's it's going to be. And talk about ball shooting. Ball shot thirty seven percent from the field and twenty five percent from three. Yeah, in, I'm not going to cut it. I think in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I I like the playmaking, especially for a Bulls team. Sure. But like I, I and the rebounding I, and the rebounding, and you know, I think that there's some vision that you see there that you, I I I don't think there's. Like he's not like it's not like he's playing like at the Doncic level before he came over in terms of a quality of a league. No, no one ever was. No, but he. I do think that there's there's probably maybe we overstate the difference a little bit more than we should um, in terms of like that league has some a decent amount of talent. I think you can see that the speed in a confined court and the playmaking in a confined court is still pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so I like, I like Lamella ball, but again, very, very flawed class. And so every single player has multiple caveats around them. So it's like, all right, if you don't like him, who do you like over him? And I think that that to me, clearly he's the best of the pretty much the best player in the class. Well, how do you feel like he fits specifically with Chicago as you know, because I can tell you, watching a team that has a point guard that doesn't really stretch the court causes a lot of problems. You, you know, like I love. Actually, there are there are interesting parallels to draw between between Bell and Simmons. That's although, interesting. Uh, Bell, yeah. Ball, and Simmons, but Ball is certainly much more uh, willing to shoot a three than Ben Simmons is. But mm-hmm. if you don't have to guard it, who cares? He still doesn't have gravity. It's a great you, point. How yeah. much? How much do you value? A guy who, let's say, he averages, I don't know, eleven points, eight rebounds, as eight assists, and, and nine. Okay, eleven points, nine assists, and seven and a half rebounds. This is these are peak averages, right? Shoot, shooting enough, like thirty percent for sure. I think that, like, I don't know if that's his peak to me. Like, I think that that's probably probably like his median outcome, um, and that's. 
I don't know that that's, you know, that's not good enough. If we're always striving to find a top three player on a champion, I don't think that he's that. Um, the, the one that's probably closest to that is Wiseman to your mm-hmm. point, like in that maybe he gets, maybe he's got a little bit more than we see in terms of like being a non-traditional big, yeah. um, you know, and the athleticism maybe portends to something better than what we see. Um, but like, you know, if that's, if that's off the table, if there are no automatic top three best players on a champion, when you look at, and I mean, there rarely are automatics, but at least, you know, likely to be that type of player, if that's off the table, then you go, I think your next sort of step is who's got the high floor and the ability to potentially be that guy. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll know ball to your, what you're saying. Like, I think that that's, that's about median for him. And I think that's still an effective, probably six man. So if you're talking about with respect to the bulls, I mean, so then you have one guy who can't shoot <laughs> running the point and one guy who is incredibly erratic and he seems to be a pretty decent off the ball player, but you know, not a great defender either. So it's stop it's like, talking trash on Kobe. What? He is a, <laughs> he is a rookie and he's going to get much better. This was a, this was a nondescript freshman. In North Carolina, I am I am so sick and tired of your your vitriolic hatred towards Kobe White. Kobe White, thirty five percent from three, not bad. You know, uh, you know, gave you eighty percent from the line. Everything, and averaged thirteen points as a rookie. He averaged thirteen points as a rookie. What do you expect? Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's better than I thought he'd be. I will, I will concede that. Um, you even but, told me before no. you didn't like him because of his hair. No, I mean that was part that of is why recorded. I didn't like that him. is recorded. You do not take it back now. <laughs> I I have no idea what you're talking about. Fair um, enough. You know, yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I I would still. I think that if a playmaker is there, you don't not take him because you have Kobe White. That's my I, personal opinion. I agree, and I think White can can play very well as a two and secondary ball handler. Totally. Totally. And who knows what, what the future of uh, Zach Levine on that team is. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Wiseman's mm-hmm. interesting, too, just because he's such a wild card. He, you know, he shut down so quickly, and then he just went to train. So who knows what fruit that training, you know, bore. Uh, maybe, right. maybe that shot is better now. He did. He shot 70% from the line during uh, his his time at Memphis on nine attempts a game. So there is at least a stroke out to 12. I have yet to see a mock draft that has the Warriors not taking him, like, at the top, assuming they get, like, a top two or three pick. Yeah. It just seems like everyone assumes that's what they'll do. Why? I mean, when have they ever prioritized a guy like that? And maybe that's yeah. why they will do it, because they've never had the chance. But I, I wonder, like, if, it just doesn't seem to be the thing that they do, you know? Yeah, I've actually – I've read that – they may like uh, Onyeka Ngakwu more than Wiseman. I think wow. Ngakwu is one of those guys to me who is benefiting from being around at the right time and benefiting yeah. from the Bam out of bio comps that he's getting right now. Ooh, that's that's oh, that's some hefty, weighty name names to be dropping around him. But I mean, he's he's a good player. I don't know if I'd go that far. Well, and had way more explosiveness, in my opinion, and at the highest level. I don't know. Ngaku is a, he's a heck of an athlete, but I don't I don't know that he has either the feel or the the shooting ability that that Bam had coming out. Even if it, Bam didn't really get to show it, I don't. I just I don't know. I don't get this. I don't get this draft at all. I hate. It's Kill- a I'm, I'm going to tell you, I hate Killian Hayes. I hate no. him. 
I don't. <laughs> oh wow! I people That's talk right. him up as maybe the, the best overall prospect in this class, and I don't see a single thing that he does particularly well. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. I'm not. <laughs> that's that's how I really feel. Like oh, I like him even less than I'm saying. I I don't see the benefit. <laughs> I don't I don't see why he's going to be a lottery pick. I don't get it. It's it's cool that he's a French point guard. Tony Parker was great. That doesn't mean he's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because I think that we chase like avatars of players so mm. much, and um and you know in this effort to find a comp sometimes we ignore the possibilities and you know at the same time we also hurt these players because they're not some of those those comps so like you know Luca I think got a lot of uh I don't know maybe negative publicity because like we didn't appreciate or not we but other people maybe didn't know what to make of what he would be Mm -hmm. and it's only because like it's hard to visualize someone like that that you haven't seen a lot of then i think that that's maybe that's a really great opportunity to take that guy just because it hasn't worked before doesn't mean it won't work in the future same with zion although zion everyone agreed in the end was the number one guy yeah and now you know that next generation is suffering because of those comps like denny avicia gets luka Doncic comps and they're nothing alike they're nothing alike Right. Oh, he's overseas. He kind of handles the ball. All right, he's Luca. Like, no, he's not. Yeah, one is a one is a skinny four, and the other one is a generational talent. <laughs> and that being said, I still would take him over. Like, I wouldn't bat an eye if he went top five because, like, you know, there's there are things there that I think can be developed, and like, I think that you know the European game is clearly more similar to the NBA now than it ever has been. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have a hard time with him in the top five. I think if your coaching staff is is good and you trust the players in your locker room to keep guys in check, Anthony Edwards would be my top guy. Then, mm. either, then either ball or wide. I think while I don't like his shot selection, I do think he's got that alpha mentality and the skills to back it up. Yes. So completely. If, if people can get him to stop taking dumb threes and turn those into drives to the basket where he's so tough to stop, he, he's, yeah. he's the guy that can average 25 points a game. I don't know that there's Agreed. another, there's another guy in this group. After that, it's, I don't know, I'll, I'll bell or why do I keep doing this? Ball or Wiseman. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then it's probably Avija, Halliburton, Ngakwu, and Toppin in the next group for me. But mm-hmm. I, I really like Halliburton. I don't, I don't get why people don't like him a little bit more. I know that his shot is unconventional, but he, he is. I see Lonzo equalities, and I he actually shot the ball well. You know, uh, Halliburton shot forty one percent on five and a half threes a game. It's it's an ugly looking shot, but it went in, and he also shot eighty two from the line, which obviously portends well to the, mm-hmm. the NBA three point percentage. That is good. I think he's going to be a, he's going to be a really nice pro. He's going to be the guy that gets drafted a little lower, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the best point guard in this draft. But at the end of the day, I also wouldn't be surprised if it was Cole Anthony four years. Right, from I was going to bring up Cole Anthony. I think that Cole Anthony, you know, ever since the first game we saw him this year, I. I was really impressed with him. And then he obviously was very erratic after that got hurt. And, you know, that season was just an absolute disaster for North North Carolina. But I feel like he, you know, you talked about like kind of the alpha mentality early in the season. I saw that. And then, you know, you don't want to take a guy. I think that is, that is overly, um, 
you know, a, I don't know, overly exposed to like the ups and downs of the season. So that would bother me a little, but he's so mm-hmm. young and he's got a decent looking shot. I, I like, I like Cole Anthony a lot. I think of, of those guys, I like him probably like at the tail end of that, that Obi top and Halliburton group you mentioned. Yeah. And that game was against Notre Dame. That wasn't, that wasn't against nobody that when he, yeah. put, he put up like 34, 10 and five looked like he was every bit worthy of that number one pick status he had coming into the season. Absolutely. And yep. then, you know, that it was just an uncharacteristically terrible North Carolina team. And it's just mm-hmm. no other way about that. Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to, I do want to hit on baseball a little bit because, and we sort of alluded to this earlier, there's a lot of talk about what's going to happen with the, the pay structure for the players. You know, we had Blake Snell obviously come out and say some stuff a couple of weeks ago. Wasn't the most likable human being in the world, but the point is valid nonetheless. Uh, the players have, you know, the players are completely against this 50-50 split as they kind of view it as a de facto salary cap that's going to be placed on them. Fair enough. And today it was, uh, it was put forth that there'd be something of a sliding scale of, uh, of compensation for the players with the guys on the lower end of the compensation scale really getting basically their full salary while the guys on the higher end would take the bigger cuts. Do you think that's going to fly? And by the way, how do you think Blake Snell feels right now? Oh man. <laughs> I, and how do you think the, uh, yeah, this version of so- baseball socialism is going to, you know, how, how will the Cardinal fans out there feel about it? I don't know, but I, I, uh, I think it's a very, very interesting proposal that I don't want to, um, I feel like there's, Look, I think it's a really good idea, but I can't speak for the players who maybe feel like they've been entitled to the amount that they've earned. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's complicated, but I wonder how they'll, how they'll all feel about it because there's a certain, you know, you earn the money you've earned and, you know, you live your lifestyle the way you want to live it. And I think that I could see this being a, having a major backlash. Um, but you know, if you're trying to call votes, Amongst the MLBPA, exactly. I'm not sure exactly how that works, it, but it's it's not too distant from what the NFL did um, with their proposal to the NFLPA. Well, and how do you vote on this fairly, too? Because the the amount of guys who are going to be affected the most make up a tiny percentage of the league. So the yeah. rest the rest of those guys are obviously going to vote for this. Right. Is it a num does each person get a vote? Is there like a team vote that has like a representative votes on like a and then like an electoral college version. I have no idea how yeah. this this works. Um, but my my hunch is that this could be a really shrewd move by MLB to put forth that sort of proposal out there. I really I just I need to know what Blake Snell is thinking about this right now. <laughs> I need to know. Because now not only is he gonna be have his his uh, salary halved because the likelihood is that they're not gonna play more than, you know, eighty one, eighty two games this year. He's going to take a much bigger loss than a lot of the other guys on the team. So that's, I think he makes seven and a half million, cut that to three, seven, five immediately, and then say now all of a sudden he's making two, five. Yeah, I don't know how exactly this proposal is going to be. Like, is it 50% for like the top 150 players in the league in terms of salary, or is it a sliding scale of percentages from the top to the bottom? But. <laughs> that's that's exactly that's, what it is, by the way. It's the second. Oh, it's a sliding scale. Yeah. Okay, okay. 
that makes more sense. It would have been much funnier if it was like top 150 and Snell was like number 148 and just like, <laughs> <have> to, <laughs> like happened to have to give up more than anyone else. Oh, uh, good for him. Uh, yeah. I'm so happy that but he's going to get less I, money. Super shrewd proposal, isn't it? Like, I yeah. feel like it's a smart way to try to do it if you're MLB. You can debate the how good it is, but I think that it's really interesting. By the way, tying this back to what we talked about earlier in this uh, article from Bob Nightingale in, the U- in uh, USA Today, it mentions at the end that the uh, the plan is that this will be pitched to the players on Thursday. The two sides try to come to agreement as soon as possible for the season. Uh, and the goal is uh, mid-June spring training 2.0 and early July opening day. So, Oh, it- you were a good call on that. That was... Uh- our our segment lifetimes ago about saying which which sport might come back first. Every once in a while, I say something that might have merit. It's few and far between. But <laughs> so every once Fourth in of July opening day, are you are you oh, good so with that? Good. Is that good for you? Yeah, I'm very good with that. And you know, I have been pushing for so long, and I I think we have a shot of this happening because I do believe basketball is going to oh, get pushed man. back permanently. I do think we have a shot of opening day in the NBA being Christmas day. And that would be so goddamn cool. Oh man. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. It'd be a good tradition to start. Honestly, they could probably do it going forward too. And that way football just has full reign over everything as exactly. always. They don't have to compete with football anymore. Right. Right. Sucks, for, really ba- for, sucks for baseball. But, uh, it does. Cause baseball needs as much unilateral time as it can possibly get. But I think that makes sense from like a calendar perspective to overlap those. And then college basketball will get some of its own time too. It's true. And I guess what would be interesting with that is so at the draft theoretically would get pushed back commensurate amount of time. So August, the draft in like September. Hmm. Well, you'd want to avoid running that into the NFL too. So maybe you do it in like late August. But I don't the, know. but the NBA oh, is NBA always playoffs. exactly right. The NBA is you know the NBA draft is like a week after the finals, so it's, it's not right. like this Let's this NFL draft stuff. So we're saying the end of July, the season, the the abbreviated end of season, regular season starts for the NBA, right? And uh, end of July, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say playoffs start early August, right? Yeah. Let's say August. Let's just say August fifth or something. Then you have two months. October. <laughs> October finals. October finals. November draft. <laughs> November like, December I mean, draft. Yeah. I mean, I guess and, it would have to be November because if you're going to start the season in December, it really. Well, and, yeah. Will we have college basketball? Like, will oh, we have man. a draft of players that are potentially could have been playing like? When does it count? You know, the NFL, or I'm sorry, they probably won't have an NBA scouting combine, right? No, and then no shot. Yeah, so, man, there are some logistical hoops to jump through there for sure, too. By the way, speaking of the draft, last last thing, there's been a lot of talk that we could see potentially one of the greatest supplemental draft classes in history this year because because of the uncertainty about the college season next year. Do you think there's any reality to that? I don't. I, I mean, I think it'd be so awesome. And I think that players like Devontae Smith and, you know, Sewell and those types of players should do take advantage of that. They can. Um, actually, I don't think Sewell's eligible, but there are, there are definitely like a solid 10 or 15 guys that went back. Maybe Travis Etienne, right? Like oh, yeah, guys for sure. like that. Um, Najee Harris. Other, 
Chuba Hubbard, yeah, yep, Najee Harris, the, all the, the Devontae. Yeah, like, I mean, there are definitely guys that could be going now. Um, I, I kind of tend to think that won't happen. It seems like there's a lot of positive support for the college football season getting back on track at the time it's supposed to. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I, I, I hope there's college football. I hope there's college sports. The we're we're gonna be happier and. Have, it's it's always better to have more stuff to watch than less. It's just a matter of are we going to be able to do it safely, and that's my question. And if we can't do it safely, then I don't think it's worth the risk. I you know for for the novelty perspective, there is something interesting, especially about a baseball draft next year. If there is no baseball uh, in high school mm-hmm. or college this year, mm-hmm. the the sheer honestly randomness of how that draft is going to go would be fascinating. Oh, we talked about that last week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would be a total mess. And even um, even in college football, you know, with the idea of drafting guys off what would be their freshman tape, that's – how do you do that? I Yeah, it would be a mess. I We will have college football. I'd be shocked if we don't, um, barring like some kind of weird – I mean, not weird, some kind of possible second wave, right? And then – You mean inevitable second wave? Yeah, yes. Inevitable, uncontrollable second wave. But I think that if I'm to bring it full circle to that conversation, like if I am one of those players that is eligible to declare, yeah, I absolutely would. Like, why risk it? I mean, even if you're a fringy second rounder, and that's, I mean, granted, that's not many players, but like we could have some of our first first round supplemental guys in like how long, right? Like, I think that I would do that. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I could not uh, could not agree with you anymore. And you know, this, I just I always get scared with this because I know we're we're smarter now than we were 102 years ago. At least I would I would hope so. But when you look back at how that 1918 Spanish flu went, we had that first wave. It wasn't that bad. It was that second wave that was ten times worse. I yeah. just I hope we're smarter than that now. But judging by what Ooh. I'm seeing, I don't <laughs> doesn't seem to be the case. No, I don't. I don't think we're smarter, but we may be more tech savvy, and that may help. I don't know. Yeah, so people can have Wi-Fi at the beach while they're infecting other people. <laughs> Good times. Very, very true. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this week's episode of the Underdog for Anshu Kana. I'm Chris Forwardell. We thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time.